consumer demands disruptive technologies and AI are shaping healthcare for years to come. On Hello Healthcare, we dive deep on these issues with leaders who are driving change. We hope that these stories will inspire you to create and demand a better future in healthcare. Please welcome your host, Alan Tam, Chief Marketing Officer at Actium Health. Our first two seasons of Hello Healthcare are available on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out our conversations with some of healthcare's most well-respected leaders in marketing, business strategy, data science, and much more. If you like what you hear, please share with your friends and leave us a review. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, healthcare. Over the past few years, healthcare entities have significantly transformed patient and consumer access to care. While retail health organizations like CVS, Walgreens, Dollar General, Walmart, and the likes continue to lead the way, traditional health systems have also invested heavily in their own digital transformation, enabling services like telehealth, online scheduling, and other digital front door services. How has this made an impact on the healthcare consumer's journey? Has access to care really improved? Are healthcare consumers adopting these latest innovations? And how are health systems continuing to move and drive these digital experiences forward? Joining me today is Brian Mullen, Head of Innovation and Product at The Clinic by Cleveland Clinic. The Clinic is a visionary joint venture that combines the clinical expertise of Cleveland Clinic with that of Amwell's telehealth platform. They provide solutions like virtual second opinions to deliver easy, secure access to high-quality medical expertise. Brian, I can't think of a better thought leader to join us on today's conversation topic. I'm delighted to have you, and welcome to Hello Healthcare. Thank you for taking the time today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm sure there's, there's many, many out there that have been on your podcast are also great thought leaders and uh, better than me on some of these areas. So happy to be part of the conversation and part of the community that you're building here. Absolutely. I look forward to our conversation and kind of getting your perspective from your, your role. Let, so let's start with that. What is your role at the clinic as the head of innovation and product? What are some of the things that you're doing and what are some of your areas of focus? My area of head of as head of innovation and product, it covers a broad spectrum. Innovation is always vague. Product, I think, is also can be vague, but it really covers our the tech-enabled side of a service, right? So from a and how do we marry that as a lot of my focus is how do we provide the tech-enabled experience to enable the the service that we we deliver, which is virtual second opinions as our, our primary product and service. So how do we get that those two things singing together between the human interaction element that is so critical in healthcare? as well as the experience that is provided digitally from a platform experience for both for the for the really the key players here which are the the patient and the providers we need to make it easy usable accessible for for the people who are who are working to serve and that they're delivering the care and it's so critical to that part right so obviously patient engagement is key to the success of what you're doing and also to the business model at the clinic what are you seeing in experiencing today in terms of patient engagement at the clinic and how is that evolving? Patient engagement is an interesting concept and idea. We focus a lot on engagement. I think the question becomes why engagement? There's a bit of engagement that we look at because when digital health started to emerge, there's a lot of people looking at social media platforms and engagement and video games and the digital movement that happened. Before, on the software side, and engagement's a key metric there. Sometimes I wonder if it's the right thing. So we need an experience that is engaging so that people want to interact with it, that they can find it easy to connect and get the service that they're looking for. 
I think a lot of more about enablement. How do we enable somebody to get a virtual second opinion in an easy, patient-centered, quick way that allows them to have the peace of mind that second opinions can provide? So do these health systems have the wrong mindset then? I think that's a really good nuance that you pointed out between enablement and engagement, which leads me to ask the question of, are health systems today measuring incorrectly to drive enablement and ultimately patients to care? I think this is a great question. I think this is a great area of probably conversation because I don't know if it's the health systems that are measuring the wrong things sometimes. I think there's a disconnect between what the health systems are being sold by digital companies. I worked at previous, I was also at Brigham and Women's Digital Innovation Hub where we got a lot of inbound requests. And a lot of startups start with engagement, will increase engagement. The next question I think anybody in healthcare asks is, what's the outcome? So health systems, providers, doctors, nurses across the board are looking, how does this help my patient achieve the thing that we're helping them want to them to work with them to achieve, right? Is this going to make them better in some way, shape, or form, keep them healthier, keep them out of the emergency room, right? So engagement is part of that experience because if somebody's not using the thing you give them to help them, then it's not worth anything. So it needs to be engaging enough so, and usable for somebody to use that. But I think engagement is an out too heavy of a metric that historically, I think, has been brought more from the digital health startup space and not to my to your question, I think in, enablement is there. How do we enable somebody to achieve the thing that the doctor has told them? It's really, I think, the opportunity that, and if you look at probably at examples, that's where, where things happen. Engagement could be part of the thing that enables, but really it's about enabling somebody, as I think is the metric that we should start to look at, to help somebody do the thing that they're being told to do. And I think that gets more aligned with what healthcare providers, hospitals, institutions look for. What is that outcome? Did it help them achieve the outcome? Right. And I like how you're describing it because I see enablement as more, did they convert, right? Did they convert on the particular action that you sought the consumer to achieve? So I wholeheartedly agree with you that enablement is a better metric and measurement of outcome, especially for healthcare consumers and patients than engagement, right? If I read a newsletter, if I read an article, but don't take action, was that successful? Maybe, maybe not. But if I book an appointment, if I seek that second opinion, that to me, that is enablement, that is a conversion, and that is what I want to do. Yeah, I think it goes a step further than that too, right? It's not just did I book it, could I actually then show up for that second opinion? Can I get a second opinion that somebody told me to get. So there's that whole chain all the way through to final result, which is from a second opinion standpoint, all the way through the person was able to book it, have it, and have the outcome of that second opinion where they can bring it back to their care team. So to your question at the start, what do I do? That is what I I worry about. How do we enable people in the domestically and internationally to have access to the world's some of the world's best physicians? in an easy way where they're enabled to get a second opinion, which sometimes can be hard. And it's really hard if you don't live in the right geographic location to get it from the right specialist or subspecialist that really would make the difference in your your care. 
Right. So I want to dive deeper in that because I find what you guys are doing to be very unique. And a lot of health systems and a lot of healthcare organizations aren't really focused on doing that. So I'd love to have a better understanding in terms of how is the clinic helping patients get the care they need? How are you driving and encouraging and enabling those patients to arrive at that second opinion, to, to take that meeting, to schedule that appointment? First and foremost is we offer it virtually. If we look at challenges in healthcare, keeping on the theme of enablement, a lot of people can't make an appointment because they don't have transportation or they can't take their job the day off from work. Like there is challenging just to show up to a visit, right? So by making, providing the ability to give access virtually allows somebody to engage at a time that works for them, ideally, as best as we can accommodate, as well as allows them to take it from home or wherever they are, wherever they can, right? And I mean, there, you could take it from your car in a parking lot, wherever is best for them to take that visit in their direction. That's the first kind of step is making sure that that is possible and it is reliable to have that virtual visit and interaction. And another key step in that engagement enablement is having a nurse intake visit. So it is really, healthcare is human. Having the right human connection in that is critical. So the first thing that uh, happens once you signed up and you schedule a visit with one of our nurse care managers. And that allows to bring clinical insight into why you're seeking a second opinion. They ask a set of questions, they bring their clinical insight and knowledge, which allows us to help match you with the best specialist or subspecialist for you. Like I worked in healthcare for a while. I didn't really know the nuances of specialty versus subspecialist until you start working in these hospitals and how much of a difference that can make. So most people don't know, might not feel confident or sure which specialist is the best fit for them, for their condition and their symptoms and the questions that they have that they, why they're seeking a second opinion. So that's another key step, which I think is an engaging one because it's human and you provide empathy in that, that moment where people are very, you know, oftentimes very stressed out. And when you need a second opinion, it's because you got a cancer diagnosis, you have a heart condition, you have a, made a significant surgery that's coming along your way. You've had this chronic condition for a long period of time, and now something's changed in your care, your symptoms, or whatever else that you need more insight, and it's stressful. So that, those are two key things. And then the nurse is enabling that matching and the scheduling with the physician so that and we go out and collect the medical records. So it's all enabling the work. So it's taking burden off the, the patient who's already stressed enabling those things, providing the right oversight. So when you, even simple things, seemingly simple or minor, but they're really important, we double check the medical records that get sent to us to make sure that all 10 pages are there and that if page seven is critically relevant to the second opinion, that we make sure we track down page seven of that medical record because it might not have gotten scanned when it's sent over. And then then it's about the, the physician, right? So helping coordinate schedule and get the right physician at a time that works for you is critical. It's an enablement, it's an engagement opportunity. Again, real-time interaction with that physician to ask your questions, to engage with them, for them to understand. And then we deliver a report back out so that you can then take that report and bring that to your local care team. And then you can make your decisions with your care team about what the appropriate actions are for you based off of the recommendations and the information you have. So at each step, it's all about engagement and enablement, engaging you in a human way with empathy, 
and our team, our nurses are fantastic at this. Our care coordinators, it's, it's a main focus on that. The physicians are really, I mean, Cleveland Clinic's known for, for this and their, their con- empathy training that they go through. And then the enablement and the whole process that we, we do so that you can get that second opinion in a timely fashion, in a lower stress way, so you can take action quickly for your care. I do think you may bring up some good points, and I really think the concept of subspecialties really comes into play for many folks, especially for those that, the folks that are seeking that second opinion. What would you say is the percentage of folks who engage with you who are not exposed to subspecialties when they start talking with your staff? If you look at most of America, most of America is not in a short drive from a top academic medical institution. We can together name those top five. Cleveland Clinic is obviously one of them. How far would you drive for that visit, right? So I I think of this, a big thing of what we do is we untether somebody from their geographic expertise. Jared, let me re-say that one. I think one thing that we do and work a lot on is how do we untether somebody from their geographic limitations? They have probably great physicians that are doing their best, but they don't have the volume of cases that warrant specialists and subspecialists to, to be there. And that's really where Cleveland Clinic provides that capability. And that most of the country doesn't have that aggregation of specialists specialty and subspecialty. Yeah, and I think uh, what I've learned personally as a healthcare consumer myself is oftentimes as the patient, I have to create and guide my own journey, especially if I live in an area where I don't have access to the experts. I may not know that uh, orthopedic surgeon, there's folks that specialize in ankles versus knees versus hips versus shoulders, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that becomes really critical. And as a healthcare consumer myself, fully appreciate what you guys are, are doing. I think a lot has changed within healthcare the past few years. I think the pandemic has definitely accelerated digital transformation in healthcare, has brought up around great technologies, some of the work that y'all are doing. And, you know, in terms of in- engagement and enablement, a lot of folks have initially focused on building those digital front doors, very much like y'all have been doing on on your website as well. My question to you there is, how are organizations today driving the right traffic to those digital front doors that you've built? And how are they addressing enablement such that their investments in digital front door are actually being used and, and paying off? Great question. I think one one area where that happens is having high quality services that when somebody walks through that door, that person can access, like the claim by Cleveland Clinic. So that is where a lot of part of our focus and attention is to to have business to business partnerships and be part of you know payer benefits and part of uh, benefits as part of those digital front door offerings, so that. We are there so that when somebody walks through the door, they're seeing quality. So again, I just maybe it's too much of the product in me, it's too much of the, the engineering in me. Is what is the outcome that we we deliver? And at the end, you have to have something. I think when you walk through those doors, that the person wants to buy or access. If we use the pure just market stuff, if people want to walk through a door, is if it's a retail shop, 
hopefully you have things that people want to buy or else they're not going to walk through your door, right? So I think similarly, high quality value add benefits when you walk through that door is the draw, right? So I think that's where why people find us. It's high quality, trusted service that is enabled that's going to deliver on, on what they're looking for versus uncertainty and not sure what to do, where to go or how to get it or the quality that's going to be delivered once they, and even if it's dollars, or, but it's their time, right? So time really matters in these opportunities in healthcare. You talked about it yourself, the amount of time you spend quarterbacking your own healthcare. So how do we help achieve those goals when somebody walks through that door and makes the door more enticing? Can you share an example of a challenge there that you kind of recognized and how you went about solving that? Yeah, I mean, I, we work on this a lot. We work on this because we're a direct-to-consumer product offering as well. So you can find us. And how do we do everything from, I think a lot of healthcare is related to knowledge, right? How do we help people understand what a second opinion is? Why is it helpful to them? Why should they access it? And then how can we be helpful compared to the other options they have for a second opinion, like going in person, their local geographic expert, or flying directly to Cleveland Clinic or somewhere else to be the in-person experience. So that communication we spend a lot of time with. There's always some education in that. You want somebody to help them learn and understand and help them be able to make the right decision for them given where they are in their care journey. So we, we spend a lot of time on helping make sure we communicate the value, but also expectation setting of what the experience will be, how we can help, and what the outcome can be. Sometimes the outcome is you're on the best plan for the best plan for you. And that is as good, I, I think, as knowing that you're not on the right plan because it gives you the peace of mind and confidence to move forward. Hello Healthcare is brought to you by Actium Health. Healthcare leaders use Actium's CRM intelligence to identify their highest risk patients and drive them to care. Increase your patient volumes, revenue growth, and improve your quality scores today. Learn more at actiumhealth.com. And now, back to the show. What are some things that you see health systems and other healthcare organizations doing right today? What are some good examples that you can share in terms of driving that enablement? Obviously, you guys have done a lot of great things, and I'm sure motivation and inspiration comes from what you see out there, whether it's within healthcare or outside of healthcare. What are some good examples? Yeah, I mean, of, of course, of course, us. I think these novel partnerships that you're seeing across with institutions to work with partners like Amwell to help enable where health institutions aren't trying to build everything internal, but trying to be strategic in their relationships and partnerships with digital health providers, I think is is where the leading institutions are. If you look at all of them, they all have some sort of digital innovation hub. Now those leading institutions, they all have some other type of partnership and engagement with the partners to stay focused and deliver on those and increase their ability to provide access while at the same time what i think about a lot and our team thinks about a lot not causing additional burden to the health system their providers let's be very specific the providers and the care providers the team the nurses that have to be involved so how do we do that so that uh, we're not burning people out either so i'm not sure if that fully answers your question if you can ask it again i might be able to add more 
more to that as well. I think it does. It's just, I think there's considerations that have to be taken into account before you open the floodgates, if you will. I think it's equally important that health organizations focus on attracting the right audience so that the overburdened staff doesn't, I don't want to say waste their time, but there should be, given the lack of supply and the overwhelming demand, focus on those that are, quote unquote, most valuable, whatever valuable may mean. Valuable can mean highest risk, most in need. How can we maximize those patient outcomes? But I also see a lot of bad examples out there that healthcare organizations are, are doing where it may not be focused or targeted to the right patient audience. But I'd be interested to kind of hear from you and what you're doing at the clinic, areas where you focused on and kind of where you've drawn some of the inspiration and best practices to make the clinic as amazing as it is. Yeah. So what I focus on, and this is probably later in the podcast for a reason, because you never started off with this. I actually focus on logistics. To, to your point, and some of the things, Alan, that you were talking about and leading in is what are the logistical burdens we can take off of the patient and the providers and the humans in this process so that we can get, if we can get the logistics right, I think this is where digital is actually from a lot of hospitals having impact is enabling the logistics of helping people do the work or getting access, right? So, you know, to be partly, I get inspiration everywhere, but I recently got an oil change done at uh, a dealership. I take my car to the dealership all the time. It's the first new car I ever bought. It's five years old. And like, whenever you make that that expense, I was like, okay, great. I'm going to take care of this car instead of the beaters that I've had most of my life. I was an entrepreneur for a long time. I was in grad school. So I did, this was like a big splurge when I bought a car. And they asked me if I needed a ride. Like, back to home while there was being serviced because it's going to take a couple hours. And I said, sure. And they just pushed a button and a lift showed up. I didn't have to pay for it. The guy got there. I got a text message to my phone of who, like, just like I was, I didn't have to download the, the lift app. It was a text message. Johnny's going to show up. It's license plate X. Got in the car, drove me home. I texted them. I think I texted the, the dealership. When they, when they told me it was ready, they told me that they'll send, they asked me if I needed another lift sent. They said, I said, I texted back. Yes. And, a lift showed up. The logistics of getting, you know, that is is stuff that I I do think about and look at and take inspiration from, because if we can do the logistics, and if you listen to a lot of the steps we do, like getting medical records, helping do the assignment, helping find those are all logistical things, and you know we all know how to get a lift done for the most part. A lot of people don't who might be older and aren't aren't as accustomed to that. But when you go through a second opinion and a lot of your medical care, it's the first time you're navigating that. There is no experience. So you don't know what the next step is. You don't know what the logistics are. You don't know the shortcuts. You don't know, you know, the back roads, even though Google Maps is telling you to take you somewhere. You're like, no, I'm a local. So how do we get the logistics right of that for the patient and the provider? You know, one of the great things about our experience is if you look at the provider feedback, the physicians, the specialists who are incredibly busy, there's a line at their door every day. They really enjoy participating in our program because they can have impact to people who don't, wouldn't have had access to their level of quality and knowledge that, um, and has really made major changes in their treatment plans or their diagnoses that are huge. And that's why providers show up 
to work. If I mean, I've talked to a lot of them over my life. They're all there to help have an impact in patients' lives. And if we can make that easier for them and they can help more patients easily, they're, they're in and they, they enjoy it and they love it. So, but we take away a lot of the headaches for them. They show up, they click a link, they start an engagement. They have everything that they need in front of them. They have the interaction. They can listen to the patient in a quick, timely phase. Hopefully the patient's more relaxed because they're at home. And then we they deliver, and then we deliver and make sure the patient gets the report. So th- these are the things that I, I don't I think about. I think about the logistics of healthcare in a very different way, not just transportation. I know I give that example, but it is the logistics of getting somebody from point A to point B in the easiest possible way for them, as well as the others involved on that ride. I love the example that you shared. I really do. And that is how healthcare should be. It should be as easy, as streamlined as that. And personally, I believe that is the biggest challenge for a lot of healthcare organizations today. Typically, patients probably have a really good relationship with their physicians. But if we go back to the patient navigating that experience, I don't know what I don't know. And my poor experiences, if you go and read reviews, the poor experiences are actually around the logistics, helping me find the right doctors getting that second opinion, you know, getting lost trying to, you know, arrive on time and all these other logistical nightmares that I as a healthcare consumer have to deal with. But when I'm sitting in front of the doctor, all is good. Rarely and very seldom do people complain about the actual experience when they're in front of the physician. So I think that's a phenomenal experience that you shared. My question then is, are we as healthcare consumers and patients expecting too much from healthcare? And how come healthcare can't be like that? Why can't, you know, the health system just send me that lift if I need one and give me a ride home? Why can't, you know, the the experiences be as seamless as booking a flight, making a hotel reservation or my favorite restaurant? Why is that not happening in healthcare today? Healthcare is one of the most innovative industries in the world right now. It is also the most complex industry there is in the world. So your journey in healthcare is like booking a whole 10-week vacation and planning every step of the way. It's not just booking a flight, right? Like, that's why there's so many point solutions. And there's like the number of point solutions, another number of steps you have to take in a highly regulated, in a, and we talk about high regulations, I think, too often in the negative. We forget how important those regulations are to protect us as patients. And I know it can be frustrating. I My startup was a medical device company, and if you read the history of the FDA and why it exists, you're very happy that the FDA now exists. Snake oil salesmen were literally real things. So those regulations and protections are there for us. The regulations and protections and being thoughtful about what data to share to whom and when is there. It makes it hard. It doesn't mean we should not strive for better, but we are doing the hard things about hard. There is not a harder industry to do it in because it is complicated and we need to get it right. One of the things I used to say uh, when I was a medical device startup is it was during the fad of move fast and break things. Mark Zuckerberg's famous quote, in healthcare, we need to move fast and get it right is the goal. But the getting right is not negotiable. My device had to work or any medical device you get or drug has to work the first time every time safely or people die. Same with a lot of 
digital health experiences, they have to be reliable and dependable, and they have to work because people are dependent upon them for high quality care and services and medical advice where they're making decisions about their health that could be significantly impactful. So why as a consumer, I don't think we're expecting too much. I think we always have to strive the best. I think hospitals and many people are rowing in that direction, but there is a need to make sure we get it right in the steps that are required to get it right are hard because you actually think about your airplane experience. You talk about booking the airplane is easy. Booking the reservation at the restaurant within the airport is easy. You didn't talk about you also have to book the Uber to get to the airport or plan your traffic and plan your trip. So the question becomes, do you expect the airline to do that for you? And in healthcare, and the assumption in your question is we expect the hospital to also make it easy for you to get there and make the appointment, and to get to the appointment, not just have appointments available for you to get to. And we can have that conversation. I think that's a different conversation, but these are the things that we expect from healthcare that we don't expect. So I think the analogies to other industries can um, often fall short very quickly. That's a great point. And I'm happy you called that out. I think in some, if you're at a certain level of status, I suppose, with the airline or with the hotel, they do offer that. But, you know, for most people, that is something that you're absolutely right. We have to plan for ourselves. How do I get to the airport and so forth? So as we talk about logistics, as we talk about that particular experience, I want to dive into the role that technology plays in terms of helping the healthcare industry move forward. And there's a lot of discussions around AI at the moment uh, within healthcare. And quite honestly, AI in the clinical setting has been around forever. And I think health systems and providers have invested heavily in that for a a very long time. But in the non-clinical setting, I think it's fairly newer. I'd love to get your perspective on what is the role of AI in healthcare moving forward in the non-clinical setting. Uh, it's, a, it's a really good question. I've been trying to think about this a lot because one, I, I don't want to give an answer like everyone else. Like it's going to be the best thing or it's going to be a nightmare. I was trying to think of where 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 is a true spot and a more genuine practical answer in that. And I want to go back to something that you said earlier about kind of the knowledge. And we've, we've been dancing around this, like people don't necessarily have knowledge in healthcare. I think where AI can be from some of the things I've seen along my journey not just in healthcare, but beyond and work in the disability space. So I actually went to grad school to look more at how do we help people with mental and cognitive disabilities. And one of the startup I mentored is actually using AI to help make it easier for people with cognitive disabilities to consume text. So basically take your PhD and write it down and get it down to a sixth grade reading level without losing the content so that somebody can read that, uh, read that and understand that and access that information without having to the challenges with a complicated, like he's looking at this for web web pages, right? I think that's where AI can have a lot of value is helping us in that knowledge gap, support us as users to understand what it means further, what the doctor or the care team is telling us so that the doctors can be, speak more in their language and be more detailed and provide us better information, but then have something to be with me to help interpret that and understand that and condense it down. ChatGPT is kind of doing this for a lot of us. You can write in the prompt, please write me an executive summary of this three-page email that I wrote so that I can send it to my boss. And I need it in three bullets, right? 
it's the equivalent. Can we use a tool like that in healthcare to help me as a patient better understand and guide me and basically educate me so that we're not relying on the subspecialist says it once and then I get supported in taking that report and dissecting it, right? I think that's an area of opportunity. I think the flip side of that is me. How can I be a better patient to that care team? So I used to ask this question a lot in my startup was I used to ask consultants all the time, how can I be a better basically partner to them? So if I hire somebody to do branding, I knew nothing about it. How could I be better? What do you need from me, right? When do I call you if I have a question to my lawyer? I think that's where AI can help us. Like, I don't necessarily know what things might be symptoms I should track before I call my doctor. Like, what questions should I be thinking about? What is normal for, I mean, to be the only thing that comes, like, what is a normal bowel movement? Is it once a day? Is it 27 times a day? Like, when we live with our conditions, we don't know what normal is. Sometimes what is normal for me isn't. So how do we get informed so we can be a better partner to the care team? I think this is where I would be excited. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I do worry a lot about AI because like any technology, it's always a double-edged sword. And if you only get enamored by what it can do, you overlook the consequences and the risk and the harm it can do as well. And I think that there's been plenty of studies already out there to know that the AI tools that have been applied in healthcare and across the board are very biased and get a lot of challenge of with the biases in our, our culture, our society that have been there for hundreds of years because they're trained on that historical data. So how do we move out those biases? How do we understand the risk of use, using AI? Um, so we're not because of my race, gender, ethnicity, where I live, my income, I'm not getting bad healthcare advice or I'm getting second tier healthcare advice because they don't think I can afford it. The AI, and I say they, AI doesn't think I can afford that service, even though that's the service I actually should get. So I think those are the things I, I, I think about a lot. I do think there's probably a large opportunity with AI to help improve social determinants of health and the logistics of that. To your point, I think you said earlier, who gets what, when, where, how, um, and really move that. And that's probably where I mean, FedEx does this, UPS does this. And that's where you're seeing other industries where it's the delivery of that service. Netflix, what show to show you when and how, Spotify. That's where the AI can, I think, also help us in healthcare. Right provider, right time, right place. Right service, right time, right place. Right enablement tool to allow you to do that. Right time, right place. Yeah, I liked your example using generative AI almost like a translator. But also, like you said, it is a double-edged sword. In order to get that personalized experience, you need access to that data, right? If, uh, you know, if we want to use, you know, some symptoms, if you and I both had the same symptom, let's just say a headache, it could be different things for you than it is for me based on the conditions that I have versus the conditions that you have. And unless AI has access to that personalized data, I don't think it could make the right recommendation, if you can call it that, or educational content for that particular person, right? And we all know as healthcare consumers that when we do have symptoms and we do worry, we go on Google and we start looking and we dive into the nether regions of the internet and diagnose ourselves with the worst possible condition. I have a headache, must be a brain tumor, right? (laughs) And you come across all these rare, rare diseases, which is, you know, seldom the case it could happen so i think that you're you're right in the devil's sword is i need more context and that, that is one of the major things with ai and we see 
I'll use uh, traffic as an example. I don't know if you use the application Waze versus Google Maps versus Apple Maps, and they always tell you the best direction given current traffic conditions. Sometimes I follow blindly and sometimes I don't. And the reason why I don't is because I have context. I know that by the time I reach a certain area, the traffic may not be there, right? But the data that's powering these applications don't know because they're using real-time data. And so I think AI oftentimes, if you don't have access to the right data, you're missing context. And context plays a really important role in helping the consumer understand and find that particular application and those technologies valuable. So I appreciate what you said. And I think it is definitely a major area of exploration for a lot of health systems as they explore these technologies. Well, I think I think there's a in-between there. So I agree the context, but let's go back to chat GPT, which is probably inspiring this conversation a lot. I think there's a lot of opportunity for the code interpreter equivalent anybody can start to become a data scientist where there actually is a check, right? So like you put data in, it's math, it's structured, it's there. It doesn't have to have the guesses and whatever. You're using the insight of applying knowledge, equations, structure, techniques that are pretty rigorous. You can, it shows the code that it writes essentially for you to do that that data analysis. Unlike the black box part of a lot of AI, there's so much knowledge that is known that no human, your specialist, your subspecialist, or I can understand. And I think that's where AI can identify which knowledge to grab that is scientifically the standards, right? Just the standard questions, best practices, PROs, and present that to me in a dynamic way based off of my responses to help me understand or articulate those questions, or even uh, from the side of the provider. So show me not all papers written on condition X, but the subset that's most relevant based off of the report the physician gave, right? So I think there's a middle there before we jump to the personalization where all that data might be needed and personalized. And then there's also that opportunity where with AI, because it is learning and it has that dynamicness, ask me some personal questions to help it refine its search so we can provide the context, which is ChatGPT is going that way where you can provide context in there and give it that little extra direction and say, what will the traffic be like in an hour from now based off of this? Because, right, I'm going to stop because you know you're going to stop at lunch with a friend, right, before you you go. So I think that there's an interesting middle ground before we jump to full personalization, just like you see the progression of personalization of medicine as a whole, there are really value-add opportunities because there is so much knowledge. How to just get the right knowledge that is known in the right paper that's close enough in front of me versus having to wander Google search, which isn't smart enough. And we even give Google search that, that context too for personalization, right? So it, I think that partnership between human and AI is going to be really fascinating, especially in the the foreseeable future. I was going to say like the next 20 years, but who knows how fast this stuff will move. But it is a tool right now that is a human machine interaction, I think, for a period of time where we can deliver that context because it's not smart yet. It's not smart enough. Yeah, Uh, nowhere close. Well, on that note, would you like to see healthcare, say, three to five years from now? What's possible? Well, what's possible is I think we just talked about with, with the AI part of it. I think where I'd like to see healthcare from three to five years from now is I think it's the hope that I think everyone says where 
we just have more clarity in the regulatory aspects of it, align on the capabilities that are, are there from, so we can deliver the services to people in this country. You know, an imaginary state line shouldn't cause so much pain and headache and, and, and extra work. Uh, there's reasons for some of these things, but let's get aligned on it. Let's, let's move forward. Let's understand where our tools and our technology are now in that the carries. I also think from a regulatory standpoint, laws, systems, dynamics, you know, everyone, it goes back to this enablement. The key things that every doctor will tell you is eat healthy, move, exercise, but just move at this point and sleep well. And if you do the first two, you tend to do the, the last one. But this is where I, I look at enablement so much. We don't have systems processes as a society that enable that stuff well. From our food programs, how do we have food deserts? So how do we start to move towards truly preventative medicine that accounts for that social determinants of health in combination with programs like the second opinion program where, where those escalations happen and we have interactions that require access to ER or specialists or subspecialists or direct care. It will be easier for everyone to, to treat patients because they are healthier walking into that surgery. So th- these are the things that I hope. I think that there's movement there and will make big risks. And my background was also in mental health. So I'm just a bit, big champion of seeing the changes we are and understanding where mental health fits in the importance and the impact that has on our physical health and how much cost it could save if we actually really put systems and processes in place to take care of our our brains and our mental wellness as much as we focus on our physical wellness. Great. So I'm going to keep my fingers crossed, Brian, that uh, some of these can be resolved in the next few years. I think there's definitely a lot of challenges ahead, but at the same time, folks like yourself are moving and pushing things forward. So um, hopeful for the future. Thank you so much for your time today, Brian. Really uh, enjoyed the conversation and thank you for sharing those fascinating insights For the folks that are listening to this podcast who would like to continue the conversation with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? LinkedIn is always good, but write a note with it. So not just random ones, write a note, say that you listen to me on the podcast, have a question. I definitely reply to those more often. It's it's linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Brian Mullen. It's pretty easy to find. I'm always looking to engage with other innovative thought leaders in this space. Awesome. Thanks again for everything today, Brian. It was truly a pleasure learning more about what you are doing to kind of help push the boundaries forward to help healthcare consumers be enabled to get access to the care they need faster. To those in the audience, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for listening. And until next time, hello. Thanks again for tuning in to Hello Healthcare. If you like what you heard, we appreciate a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. You and your feedback fuel us. This conversation is brought to you by Actium Health. To get the latest on what these healthcare leaders are saying, subscribe on hellohealthcare.com. Thanks. And when we see you next time, hello.